welcome back to There Are Three of Me. I'm back. <laughs> I have finally gotten past my writer's block. And I have, that means that I have written one chapter of each of my four whips, works in progress. So I'm finally back. And things are kind of stressful right now because I have lost my job again. But I wasn't fired this time. I was just let go, laid off. I get unemployment. And I signed up with Uber. But my husband used to deliver pizzas in the only car I ever brought, uh, bought brand new. And I know how it ended up, that car. When we traded it in, they generously gave us $500 for it, and they had to tow it out of our driveway. It had 184,000 miles on it. Delivering pizzas killed that car. I am not willing to kill my 2016 Nissan Leaf. I like my little electric car, hatchback or no. So I only do it for a couple of hours a night, but I'm making you know, fairly decent money doing it. I mean, if I did it full time, I could, I could do pretty well and drive my car into the dirt, um, which I refuse to do. So a couple of hours a night, uh, no, no Sundays, not usually Saturdays. Um, just, you know, cause Sundays I have to file for, un I have to file my weekly thing for unemployment. So I'm like, yeah, let's just not do anything on Sundays. But that leaves me a lot of other time to, I don't know, stay up late like now and sleep. Here it is Sunday night. It is 2 a.m. And I'm still going. I could stay up till 4 or 5 like yesterday and get up at 1, a little after 1 p.m. I could do that. I can do that right now. So I'm kind of loving not working. But I am also the person who does the budget in my family, and I know that I need to make some more money. More money than unemployment and Uber. And the money I make with Uber means the amount I'm getting in unemployment is decreased a bit. But at least, you know, when I had the waiting week where they weren't going to give me any money from unemployment, I made money through Uber. So some money came in, and somebody's be some money is better than no money. So there you go. Uber. Who knew? And it also gave me time to think and to write and to watch The Legends of Tomorrow season one all over again and cry when Leonard Snart died. And it made me realize I do still love this character. I thought I was falling out of love with this story, which was terrible because I have promised, I've vowed that I will never give up on a whip that I have posted. And I've posted 11 chapters. Um, a prologue in 10 chapters, but either way, you know, and I didn't want to give up on it. And I was able to find my love for Leonard Snart again and write another chapter of this story. And I kind of know how this story ends, but I've got to write all that middle stuff, you know? And so now I've gone away from Bucky. I have written a uh, chapter of the um, Alien Us sequel for Enterprise. I have written a chapter of Momentous, the um, Final Fantasy 15 story. I have written a chapter of this. And you're going, wait a minute, that's only three whips. Yeah, well, they got to return back to Bucky. And so that's where we are. And technically, I have a series that's still open too. So it's kind of like having four and a half whips because all the stories in the series are done as of now, but that's not all the stories that will be. So the series is still open and I still need to write another short story. So I don't think I'll have much trouble transitioning back to Bucky. I definitely have a thing for Bucky. Before I lost my job or knew I lost my job, I ordered a birthday present um, at Hot Topic. I had a, had a coupon for my birthday. There's not a lot I can get at Hot Topic, but they do have licensed merchandise. And I bought myself 
a Bucky hoodie. <laughs> I once, um, when we were in Portland, I was kind of cold after the rain. And so my um, husband let me borrow his hoodie. Maybe it wasn't raining, but we had, oh, whew, we had biked up the hill to the mansion Pitwick or something like that. If you've ever been to San Francisco or you live in San Francisco, you know that ha they have hills, lots of hills. And so I was nearly dead by the time I pushed my bicycle all the way up the hills. Yeah, I pushed it. It's a heavy bicycle. So we finally get up there. I'm a zombie. We do the tour. Fortunately, there is an elevator in the house. And while I was, you know, fairly healthy, I didn't think my legs could handle stairs. <laughs> so they graciously let me use the escalator or the elevator rather. But man, downhill was so fun on the bike. <laughs> oh my gosh. The whole way back, I don't think I had to pedal. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> Downhill is wonderful. Uphill is not. Um, but anyway, I was cold. So my husband let me borrow his hoodie and I was amazed by how warm it was. And so I prefer to have hooded jackets. I like the zipper, but they aren't as warm as his hoodie. And I thought, you know what? There are times when I want to be warm like that. We're going to go camping. I think I might want to be warm like that. So Bucky Barnes hoodie. And it is nice and warm. And I wore it when I the first few nights that I Ubered. So unless it gets too cold, it's a little cold. Bucky Barnes hoodie. It's great. And it has a pocket in front so I can keep my keys on me when I have to get out of the car, for instance, because it also do Uber Eats. Um, late at night, I only do Uber Eats. I don't want to get any drunk people in my car. Um, so Uber Eats, I go pick up something from a restaurant. Maybe I have to drop it at their door. I have to get out of the car. I want my keys and my phone with me when I do that, you know, so I'm not leaving my car with my keys in. You know what I mean? Um, so... Bucky Barnes hoodie. It's lovely. It's um, kind of a like a poster from uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So it's not the Winter Soldier, like from the Captain America movies. It's it's Bar Bucky Barnes from uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. It's just lovely to have on. I do love Bucky Barnes. Really, I do. So it's going to be fun to go back to the Bucky Barnes series, to go back to the um, the Bucky Barnes a, uh, AU, alternate universe uh, whip that I have to write. Okay, so what am I going to do this season? Besides yammer on about what's going on my, in my life and my writing. Well, I'm going to read the last story I can read. Because I've read all the short stories that have been written so far. I've read all the novel-length stories that have been written so far. Except for three. And I've read all the novellas that have been written so far. And technically, the three might be novellas or maybe, you know, somewhere in between. But it's a trilogy. So it's three separate stories. And that is the Faith Trilogy, DS9. So that's the last thing I have to read of my own. The question is, if I'm not going to read whips into here, what am I going to do when I've read the end of the Faith Trilogy and I haven't finished any of my four whips? Well, I may have to try harder to get guests on this show. Um, it's not easy trying to line up, you know, somebody who's willing to yammer on with me about writing um, and working out the times and, you know, the technology. Anchor does have this thing that says invite a friend. I haven't used it yet. Um, my friend Valerie is having health issues, so I haven't bothered her. Um, so I'm not sure I could get her. I did go ahead and read The Exile and The Doctor. The Exile is her story. The Doctor is my sequel to it uh, last season. It's um, 
a very interesting AU, and it's one of her stories that does not leave me gloomy for three days. So it's it's one that sparked a scene in me, and I wrote it. She she gave me permission to do so, um, which is always a good thing. I see this come up in the fan fiction groups on Facebook once in a while. If I want to write a sequel to somebody else's story, what's the etiquette? The best thing is to ask the author if it's okay. Maybe they have a sequel ready or in their mind for that story. If somebody had said, I want to write a sequel to Alien Us, I would have asked them, tell me more. Because if you want to follow Malcolm or Hoshi, I've got that covered because I'm going to write it. It took me six years <laughs> to find the start of it, but I got it started. But if you wanted to write something that's leftover, you know, that, that happened, you know, what about Sharu right after they got Hoshi and Malcolm back? What about on the planet with the aliens? That would have been cool. And technically, I'm using the bookends that I did before where Hoshi's still on Enterprise. Therefore, we only get her right at the beginning of the story and only will pick her up again when Enterprise is back near Malcolm. So, potentially, someone else could write what's going on with Hoshi so long as it fits my narrative of what I say is going on at the beginning. They're going on some secret mission, radio silence. I didn't want to have to come up with that mission, but if somebody else wants to, I'd be okay with that. But I'd ask them probably to wait until I finish uh, Finding Home so that their story can end up where my story does too. So... Anything on Sheru, I'd be like, have at it. That would be so fun to read. I would be, I would feel honored. Just, I don't want you to step on my writing. And so that's why it's always good to ask the author. Get the permission. Okay, so what if the author started a story and then apparently abandoned it because there's been no update for seven years? I read a really good, very short chapters, but a very good story of, in in the DC kind, in the Captain America line, is basically following the escape from the the prison in First Avenger, all the way back to the camp, and it was amazing. And then there was a sequel, and it was amazing, and then it just stopped. And I so wanted more. What about in that situation? What if I was so inspired to pick it up and run with it? I could ask the author, but maybe never, ever, 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 ever get a response. I put a comment on that story, have never gotten a response. I don't know. That's a gray area. It hasn't come up for me. Um, on AO3, you can abandon a work by orphaning it. And when you orphan it, basically you take your writing name off of it. It comes out of your profile and goes into orphaned place. I'm not sure where that is exactly because I've never orphaned anything. And one presumably could adopt a story that is orphaned. And so pick it up and finish it. I will, you know, say I got really fell out of love with Perchance to Dream, the DC Comics uh, Leonard Snart story. Say I fell totally out of love with that and did decide to abandon it. Now I can't even imagine it because that's not me. <laughs> <laughs> I can't leave a story undone. It may take me 10 years to write it, but I can't. If I if I've posted it, I started a 10-man story. I couldn't make it work. Never posted it. Abandoned it. Um, there was a sequel to, uh, if it's not one thing, that included Julian going back to Earth and finding his family, you know, the Grant family and all that. But... The TV show then gave him a backstory and it kind of negated mine and it left my imagination, but I never posted it. 
so I abandoned it. It's okay. Did I erase it from my hard drive? No. It's still there. Everything I write is a piece of me. There was a time that I lost my, twice actually, that I lost my writing drive. The first time was a software issue. Um, it was still a hard drive issue, but it was like, I reformatted the partitions on that drive, except for the writing partition. And when I was done, the computer did not know where my writing partition stopped or started or what file system it had. My computer, my hard drive was confused. And because it was confused, I could not access any of the story. I could only format the drive. I paid $300 back then for software to hopefully get back my stuff. And it wasn't just my stories. I saved every email I ever got sent about my stories. I had a database where I kept all that stuff. And it mattered enough to me to pay $300. And I got baby back I got back maybe 95% of it. The other time was worse because I walked into my room with my computer and I heard it crunching. That is a physical problem in the hard drive. And I sent it someplace to try and, you know, to pay for it to get recovered. And they said they couldn't do it. And I tried to send it to another place. They opened it up and said they saw a fingerprint on the disc. So they couldn't do it. Well, that meant the other place had put a fingerprint on it because I never opened the thing. How could I put a fingerprint on it? That is that drive. I still have it. It's in bubble wrap down in my basement. It's precious to me. If someday it becomes cheaply able to be restored. But it's not like I lost all my stories. My stories were out on the internet. I could get them back from there. I scoured Deja News for alt.startrek.creative for every comment I could find, especially the awards comments. It took ages. I rebuilt my database. And maybe it had 500 records then. Um, now it has 2,703. <laughs> so <laughs> I rebuilt it. Um, I've, I've just every little scrap of feedback I could find, you know, the reviews that are on fanfiction.net and AO3, which I didn't start till 2017, well, be, well after this happened anyway, um, are all there online to get. But the emails that were sent to me were not. Um, the news group, all I could do was Deja News um, because the news readers wouldn't pull anything that far back. Uh, it it's devastating to me to to lose my my writing file. It's actually a partition on my hard drive, a whole partition all by itself writing. And when I back up my computer, usually it takes too long and too much space to back up an entire computer. You decide what is it. You'll never do it. And I was in IT for 21 years and I didn't do it. So I decided what I got to do is back up what's important to me. And generally that means just my writing partition. Oh, there's other things I should probably back up. <laughs> my resumes, for instance, I'm once again looking for a job. Um, but uh, pictures, things like that. I have a media partition too. Um, things like that I should probably back up. But definitely definitely my writing partition. So I can never orphan something, even if I gave up on it, which I don't think I would ever do because I couldn't take my name on it and say, it's okay. It's up for grabs. I don't want it anymore. It's an orphan. You can adopt it because they are my babies. They are my heart. My stories are a piece of me. And when my hard drive died, it hurt. 
It physically hurt. And I would have gone into debt. I would have paid anything I could if that could have been restored. Instead, I spent hours and hours and hours and days and weeks finding every scrap I could. Because they matter to me that much. And someone who doesn't respect fan fiction might say, oh, it's just fan fiction. It's just stories about somebody else's characters. I write the best stories I can, even though they're about somebody else's characters. My goal when I wrote If It's Not One Thing was to write a story as good as any novel you could buy, Star Trek novel you could buy in the bookstore. And I have plenty of comments saying that I did better than that. And it depends on the novel. I mean, Laertes and Gamble was awful. Absolutely cringy, awful, burn it. My husband tried to read it just to say, I'm going to read it and like it, and he couldn't even do it. It was awful. It's terrible. But then there's some others that are just wonderful. So it's a crapshoot with the novels. I try not to have many of my stories be a crapshoot. I don't write Drek. I tried giving Alien Us with Philippe Delamatroc. I tried giving it my B game. I can't do it. I end up writing my A game. That's just the way I work. <laughs> my brain doesn't do B game when I write. It just happens. I write to write well, to tell the right story. I'm in a writing group that meets every two weeks, and I often get... <laughs> into these heated discussions because they we go over all these technical terms and um, writing formats and rules and stuff like this. And I'm just like, but I write by magic. Um, like, we're like, what is the theme of your story? And I'm like, I have no idea. If it's not one thing, it was just an idea in my head and it just kept spawning different plots. And so I'm like, that's, all, you know, or... Faith, the Faith Trilogy came from a scene that I got when I was washing my face, getting ready for bed. Cisco and Bashir in a dialogue. And Cisco was afraid of Bashir. And he, Bashir said, I know why the Romulans joined the war. And he actually backed him into the wall. And I was just floored. I was just like, oh my God, how does it get that way? And where does this go? <laughs> so why did I write that story? What was I trying to tell? That scene, I wrote that story because of that scene. The magic gave me the scene. I write by magic. I'm not a pantser because a pantser can look at a blank page and just start writing and see where it goes. I know where it goes or I have to find where it goes. Myth and memory started from a line. I was seated upon my horse, then I was seated upon the ground. What's the theme? I don't know. I had to know the rest of that story, and I had to write it in first person because that's the way it came. I write by magic. That's what I call, some people call their muse. I call it magic because to me it is. It's like suddenly this scene is in my head. Suddenly this line is in my head. This dialogue, it makes me cry. And if I know it does that for me, I know that can do it for someone else. And that's where the telepathy comes in. I dream it up. You hear it, read it. It goes into your head and you have that same dream. You have that same story playing in your head that I had playing in mine when I wrote it. That is telepathy. I put my story in your head. So, no, they matter to me too much. And, uh, oh, but, yeah, get in these heated... I write by magic. Yeah, that okay, we've kind of covered that. Okay, so let's... It's 24 minutes in right now, and I'm thinking the whole faith, part one, chapter one, I don't know if we should do that just quite yet. Um, if there's a prologue, maybe I could just read the prologue, and we'll get that done and then we'll call it a day and we'll continue reading. And um, I will now let my 
Bucky Barnes Muse, let the magic run the Bucky Barnes channel, and I can write maybe a new short story and a new chapter of The Path Not Taken. And I hope that one of these stories can get finished soon so I can read it here. Okay, it turns out that Faith Part 1, which is titled Hope, has a very short prologue. But I've decided that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to wet your whistle for it tonight. And then we'll pick it up through the end. There are only five chapters to Faith Part 1. There are, um, hmm, no, that's because that's the sun. Sorry, I'm trying to figure out how many chapters are there of things. So there are five of, of uh, Faith 2, and there are eight of Faith 3. So we are talking about 28 chapters total, not quite as long as Alien Us, but still pretty darn long. And I think if you add up all the words, it's actually more words than Alien Us, for if I read all three of the stories. So, here we go. Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Faith, Part One, Hope, a novel by Gabrielle Lawson. Author's note. This story does reference other stories of mine. It can stand alone, but it might leave you with questions. If you've read my other stories, those questions shouldn't come up. Those stories can be found on my website, which is http colon two forward slashes gabrielle.sites.net and that sites is S-Y-T-E-S slash trek slash writing dot html or HTTP colon two forward slashes www.fanfiction.net and of course now on AO3 as well. Acknowledgements. Thank you to my beta readers. Paula Stiles gave helpful medical advice, though I must say I never hear from her anymore. Joe Burgess debated and argued with me to help me work out where this story would go, and I thank her heartily for it. And Valerie, ever thankful to you. I think I, I think you read just about everything I ever write. Also, Victoria. Meredith and Matthew Edward gave their comments and votes as well. Thank you all. Prologue. Julian sat in the darkness that had become his home. He leaned his head back against the cold, wet wall and touched the pad again. He hated the voice, but he was glad for it. He could only guess how long it had been since he'd heard any other voice. Welcome to your new home, Sloane said, and in Julian's mind he could see the man smiling. I can't recommend the accommodations, but you betrayed us. There's a replicator, if you can find it. It will only produce one thing. You'll just have to live with that. I'm sure you can find water if you try hard. You asked once what would hap have happened if we didn't find you trustworthy. I admit, this is more creative than we usually get, but you get the general idea. You're an intelligent man, after all. The pad went silent, and Julian wished the walls around him would do the same. But like Sloane had said so many times, he'd find water. It had taken him two days, by his estimate, to find the source of the echoing roar of the waterfall. The replicator had been easier, and it produced the only light he saw, but that light had gone out weeks before when he replicated the last of his emergency rations. Two months' worth. As the last bar shimmered into shape, he'd lost the last of his meager light. In return, he'd hoped to gain his salvation. His hope had a name. Data. In the first days, he had longed for light like he had once starved for food. He'd wake up only to find wakefulness darker than sleep. He'd touch his eyes just to see that they were indeed open. He'd worried at first that Sloane had blinded him, but he'd bumped into the walls enough to know where he'd disappeared to. The walls ran with water, slowly seeping, giving life to the rock. Conical towers grew, grew up from the floor to stumble him when he tried to walk. Rounded points hit his head and shoulders and dropped water down onto his clothes. Water and calcium and the drops became hard deposits on his clothes. In the weeks to follow, he'd mapped out some of the cave in, cave in his mind, hoping to find an exit to the unknown planet beyond. But he never so much as found an upward slope, except once, by following the water toward its source. 
but all he'd gotten was wet. The passage had become too narrow to even crawl through. It had taken days to dry. He shook and shivered from the cool air. He still felt damp. He always felt damp. He'd wondered at first if there were animals in the cave, but he hadn't heard any sound except the replicator, Sloane's voice, and the constant roar of the water. He could feel them, though, when he dipped his hands in the water. He even caught one once, a crayfish. It had pinched him. There were little fish, too, which nibbled at his fingers or the ends of his hair that touched the surface of the water when he washed. In those first days, weeks, months, he'd felt many things. Fear, anger, self-pity, loneliness, hopelessness. He'd gotten stuck on that last one, hopelessness. What hope was there? His one puny life mattered little. Everything was being lost with or without him. The Dominion was still in the Alpha Quadrant, and the Federation was still becoming the Dominion. Well, maybe not the Dominion, but certainly less distinguishable. Besides freedom, what was being fought for out there? It used to be more than that. But even in his last months up there, in the light, he'd started to feel it dwindling, even in himself. Sloane had only confirmed it, put details to his vague ideas and nails in the coffin of his ideals. The bad guys were bad, but the good guys weren't good. There was no point. And yet, in the days, weeks to follow, he'd found himself replicating rations and drinking the water. Why? Some pointless, innate will to survive, perhaps? Partly so. To calm the rumbling in his stomach and the old memories of, of his nightmares? Partly that, too. To see the brief shimmer of light? That as well. Life, to put it simply. Faith may die, but life goes on. Well, that kind of wet my whistle, too. <laughs> I haven't read this in quite a few years, and I didn't see a single typo in that whole prologue, and I'm like, and like that. So nothing tripped me up, and I was just like, wow. I like this prologue. It really sets a dismal scene, but it sets that scene. It sets the place, the background... We got the, all the see, the, the sense, well, not all the senses, I didn't do smell, but you got what he can see, well, not much of it, um, not much of anything, what he can feel, what he can hear, the, it, it, his feelings about it, how, kind of how long he's been there, it's been a while, you don't know exactly how long, but it's been a long time, and it's something that Section 31 did. Sloan was very um, smug about it in in the the pad. So all he has is the pad and the replicator, and he replicated two months worth, and then stopped. Why he has a hope? That hope is data. And if you know Star Trek, you probably know who Data is. So yes. This is a crossover with the next generation. Two parts of faith are the first and the third. It's, it took an interesting turn when I started it, but I will comment do commentary on that when we get there. Um, I am looking forward to this now that I've started, because like I said, I haven't read this in a while and it's fun <laughs> um, to read it now. I'm I'm excited, so I look forward to reading this. I re look forward to tomorrow doing chapter one. Wow. Um, we are going camping this weekend, so it might be that I end up recording chapter five at camp, like I did before. <laughs> that one time I did record a chapter of, I can't remember, at an episode while I was in, at camp, and I had to like just record it all, and then wait and upload it when I got back to in my house to feed the cats, because there was not enough internet out there to get it to process. <laughs> so, um, we might be doing that again. You get nature sounds. Um... Which, 
It won't sound like a starship, but I will give you this little hint. We will not always be on a starship in the first or third parts of the Faith Trilogy. Well, I hope that that prologue excited you to hear what's coming. I am excited to read it to you. And I hope you'll come back for it. And that I can write another short story and chapter for my Bucky stories and uh, continue that transition without taking a year to do it this time. That's a good, hopefully now that I've gotten a chapter of each, I can manage to get that swing back where I can transition from one story, one fandom, the next story, the next fandom, the next story, the next fandom, the next story, the next fandom, and find the love I have for that story when it's that story's turn. Um, it took a while for me to even open my notebook with Perchance to Dream. But I finally did, and then I put it aside again, and then I opened, you know, watched the whole um, season one. Nart dies at the end of season one, second to last uh, episode. So, yeah. And then the, I then I wrote more. And when I finished it, and I did something a little different. You know, I, you know, I generally am not a, a draft writer. That Some of the Bucky stories have been weird that way that I've drafted them because I've written a whole bunch of background stuff that didn't end up being a scene but then was referenced as background information in the next in, in the story when I finally wrote the story. This one, and it does happen sometimes, maybe because I know in my brain, in my subconscious, that when I type, I tweak, that I can add more when I type. It's usually in a dialogue, when I get a dialogue going, and it's just coming so fast that I write out the words they say, the words they say, very little background information, movements, physical movements, things like that. You don't want to just write dialogue, he said this, she said that, he said this, she said that, he said this, she said that. You want, she tucked her hair behind her ear, she, um, he shrugged, um, you, you want something he moved across the room and picked up his coffee. Something. You want stuff to be happening around the dialogue so that it doesn't read as just he said, she said, he said, she said, he said, she said. You want that. But when I'm sometimes writing by hand, I just get so into the dialogue that I'm just writing out the dialogue and very little of the outside stuff thinking, I'll switch, I'll, I'll, I'll fill that in later when I type. And that is exactly what I did. So you could call that a version of drafting. So there's that. It's not that I never draft. There are occasions when I do. And reasons when I do. Um, but I don't, in general, write a draft. Usually when I write it, it sticks. In fact, even when I was typing this and I started to change something, then I looked at it and I'm like, no, no, no. And the cadence doesn't work. Oh, that's another thing. Cadence. We were talking in the the um, writing group about some of the, you know, writing things and some of the things the advice people say is like, every sentence has to have a this and every scene has to have that and everything. And I'm like, sometimes it just comes when the pen is on the paper and I get a perfect sentence. And it's just, it can't be changed. It can't be bettered. Life had become an absurdity he didn't want anymore. Wow, I cannot make that better, right? But it's also a cadence. Sometimes when you choose other words that say the same thing in fewer words, it doesn't have the same cadence. And the cadence is part of it, the sound of it when you say it. That... Um, part in Alien Us where it's the anger had faded and in its place. I can't remember always the be beginning of the sentence, but when he, when Trip realized they had hoped when there was no hope and only hope when they had none left. Hemingway could probably make that shorter, but <laughs> it doesn't need to be shorter. It is perfect, and it has the right cadence. 
And so there was something else I was writing, you know, with a, with this story and it had Snart's cadence. Snart is a very snarky guy. He just always, just go on YouTube and look for like Snart's, the best of Leonard Snart's snarky snarkiness, something like that. It's just great. It's just full of it from The Flash and from DC's Legends of Tomorrow. It's just great. And it's fun to channel him, him but it's challenging. But cadence. And it's not just in the dialogue. It might be in the thoughts. It might be in the thought pattern as I'm writing the narration from his point of view. Or whatever characters. It's something about the cadence. And that matters more than I need to make this the least amount of words I can. How can I take those three words and use one word that says the same thing? Uh, no, maybe those three words have the right cadence. Yeah, so I, I, <laughs> I end up being a little contentious, but in a friendly way. Um, sometimes in this writing group. But anyway cadence. There was one time that my teacher in my advanced composition class in high school wrote on my paper, you have beautiful syntax. Syntax is the way you string words together. It can be like music. My friend who wrote under the name Dwimmer Dean, she can write symphonies in her paragraphs. It just, it's it's musical. Another, when I would read her stories, I was just like feeling like antique jewelry. The beads and the, the jewels that are strung so beautifully on that jewelry. So syntax and cadence. It's not just the words you use, it's the way you put them together that makes art there's a certain way you have to write with journalism. It's not the way you write fiction. Hemingway was a journalist first, and then he wrote fiction, and he's noted for very short sentences and not flowery prose and stuff like that, and so I tend to be kind of anti-Hemingway um, because my prose tends to be wordy, but I... There's something about when I feel like it's right, when I've written it on the page and it can't be bettered on the print, on the typing, that it's just like, no, it has the right sound, it has the right cadence, it has the right syntax. So it's just something else to think about when you write. Maybe the syntax isn't right and it could be shortened by, you know, picking, uh, you know, instead of, you know, when I was teaching English in the Czech Republic, I pointed this out one time, we can walk from one place to another, but we can also trudge, and I physically trudged. It's more informative than walk. You're still moving your feet from one point to the other. Skipped. Ran. There might be a specific word that just drills down perfectly to describe what you need it to describe, an action or, an, you know, whatever, and it doesn't mess up your cadence, then it's good to use it. But it might be that your cadence is saying, no, this is the cadence it's supposed to be. This is how it's supposed to be. And I would put, let's just look at this last paragraph of the, par of the prologue I read. And yet, comma, in the days, comma, weeks to follow, comma, he'd found himself replicating rations and drinking the water. I should maybe put replicating the rations. I might have found one fix. And let's hear the cadence of the two different ones. And yet, in the days, weeks to follow, he fa he'd found himself replicating rations and drinking the water. Now let's try it with the rations. And yet, in the days, weeks to follow, he found himself replicating the rations and drinking the water. I do like that better. And why? Not just the cadence, but we're um, duplicating. We have the same before and after the and. We have the rations, the water. Verbing the noun. Verbing the noun. So I am going to change that to 
replicating the rations. Okay, so let's continue. In the day, and yet in the days, weeks to follow, he'd found himself replicating the rations and drinking the water. Why? Some pointless, innate will to survive, perhaps? Partly so. To calm the rumbling in his stomach and the old memories of his nightmares? See, that's again a sentence of chaos, or, or not chaos, a sentence of cadence. To calm the rumblings in his stomach and the old memories of his nightmares. There's a certain bounce to the words, a certain cadence. And I like it. Partly that too. To see the brief shimmer of light, that as well. Life, to put it simply. Faith may die, but life goes on. Something else I did there that I want to point out. Partly so, partly that too, that as well. I could have said partly so, partly so, partly so, but that would have been annoying <laughs> and redundant. You got to vary that up a little bit. So partly so, partly that too, that as well. So, you know, partly so is exactly, you know, this, it, it means the same all three times. We're breaking this all up into, you know, the why into three parts. But we want to vary how we say those three times because the rep, you, the repetition of it needs to be there. It's kind of like part of the cadence of the whole paragraph. Partly so, partly that too, and that as well. To have that why, this why, partly so, this why, partly that too, this why, that as well. So it has that cadence of question, partly, question, partly, question, partly. But it's all written, you know, written out in a way that flows better. And it varies. And then it sums it up. Life, to put it simply. Faith may die, but life goes on. And notice, faith may die, and that is the overall title of the trilogy. Each part of the trilogy has its own title, faith, forgiveness, peace. Now, there's a trick to that. I'm not going to give it away, but there is a trick in that. And you're going to figure it out. I mean, this also, the paragraph, two paragraphs before that says hopelessness. What hope was there? And the title of this part is hope. So it gives you maybe an idea what that trick is. All right. I think that is uh, where I will leave it for tonight. Um, I'm glad to be back. It is really fun to do. Oh, there's something else I want to talk about. Yep. Yeah. Here I am again. Um, Anchor has added something new. I could add a video to my podcast. Will I or won't I? And it was even suggested on the, um, the uh, weekly, every other week group. Why don't I put, you know, do a, a YouTube video instead? Let's pretend I know how to video edit, which I don't. But if I did, you know, I don't know that that is ethically good for fan fiction. So the reasons why I probably will not add video to my podcast. You don't want to see me sitting here at 2 a.m. in the morning with my messy desk and there's no point in cleaning it. I have cats and they sit up here and they move around the papers and they knock them on the floor. There's just, there's just no point. None at all. Just I gotta know where I can find things and as long as I can find things it's, it's okay. I live with the chaos because I love the cats. Um, right now, I took a shower earlier tonight. I'm sitting around in my robe. You don't need to see that. You know? You don't need to see some 50-year-old woman who looks young. Who I don't look 50, by the way. Um, I'm not terribly ugly or anything like that. But you don't need to see me sitting here at 2.50 in the morning and my hair all a mess or whatever. You, you don't need to see that. And what am I doing? I'm staring at my computer screen to read the story and scrolling down as need be. That's not exciting. 
There's just nothing to see there. Okay, so that's one reason why I won't. And the other is the ethical thing, and that goes into the YouTube. Why not read my stories on YouTube? There are people who just do tell stories on YouTube. So why not just read my stories on YouTube? And earn money by being a YouTuber. There's the trick right there. Earn money. Yes, Anchor does earn me money. I have done quite a few seasons now, and I've only gained up to $7.61, and I can't even cash it out till I get to 10 So, 135 episodes, and I've earned $7.61. If anything... It's giving me a little bit of money back on my phone bill since I use my phone to um, do Anchor. Eventually. Again, I can't cash out till I got 10. I'm not asking for people to join my Patreon. I don't have a Patreon. I'm not asking you to send me money at all. Even if you want a copy of Alien Us to hold in your hand because I still have the one without page numbers, I'm not asking you to pay for it. Only the shipping. I paid for it when I made it at blurb, uh, blurb at blurb.com. And then I realized it didn't have page numbers. And I decided I can put page numbers and change the cover. So I've got this copy doing what? Taking up space on my shelf. So I'm willing to give it away. I'm just not willing to pay my money to ship it to you. So I've paid my money to get it. There's no profit in that if you pay for the shipping. Technically, there's no problem if you paid what I paid to make it and send it. There's still no profit in that. But making a profit on fan fiction is ethically wrong. To make money on Star Trek characters, you have to be licensed. And that goes for any other fandom. And one reason we are ethically not going to earn any profit is because we don't want to get sued. Somebody put out a Star Trek cookbook that wasn't licensed and they got sued. We put these stories free on the internet that's the way they are. I did used to um, sell my stories print, but it was exactly what I paid at Kinko's to get it print and bound and what I paid at the post office to get it sent to you. No profit was involved. Somebody just wanted to hold it in their hands. That is okay. You can pay for a fanzine, but it's what it takes to make the fanzine. And get it to you. Not profit. So if I was a YouTuber. And I read these stories. And if those episodes got. If those videos got popular. And ads played on them. I might make money. And I feel it would be wrong. To do so. I really do. Yes, the money can be used to get a better microphone the, or a camera or this or that. An actual, you know, like soundproofing stuff in your video space that I don't have. Um, that technically isn't profit, but eventually it would be profit. There's YouTubers who no longer have a nine to five job. And while that sounds really sweet... What would I put on video, what would I put on YouTube except my cats or stories? And I have never thought I would make a living at my fan fiction. Sad but true. The payment I get for fan fiction is the feedback I get. It's the likes, it's the kudos, it's the comments, it's people listening to this podcast because they like the stories. 
So that is fan fiction's payments right there. And I don't think I could ever put fan fiction in a video um, that would A, be interesting because again, three o'clock in the morning, what's there to see? <laughs> My desk, I'm not kidding, is a terrible mess. And I'm staring at a computer screen while I'm reading to you. Not exciting. Or I do it like Michael Ballin. Um, oh, Mr. Ballin. You like, if you are a fan of the weird and unusual, mysterious story in story form, look up Mr. Ballin on YouTube. He's great. Um, but he's telling true stories. He's not telling made-up stories like this. He's not telling stories of fan fiction. And therein is the ethical rub. I cannot do that. Now, someday could I end up doing what Mr. Ballin does, finding true stories out there to retell? Sounds like a lot of research to me, and I've never liked research. My mantra for research is, I'd just rather know everything already. I really would. I will research when I need to for a story, but the idea of spending my hours of my day researching stories, writing them again so that I can read them or tell them again, practicing telling them again, and then videoing myself telling them again. The only fun part of that is videoing myself telling them. Really? <laughs> the whole research thing. I want somebody else to do that for me. No, 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 no. <laughs> So, yeah, YouTube at this time is not in it for me. I would have to pay somebody to do the research. I'd have to pay somebody to do the video editing. I'd need a better place to record than this messy office. Uh, there's just so much into the, to that. And, you know, what money am I going to give to the, the researcher? Hey, I've got this great story for you to read. Here it is. Summarize that. See, so it would be nice to get somebody else to summarize that. Put that into a, you know, a story form I can read in less than a half an hour. And, you know, then the only fun part is the reading. That's the only fun part. Um, and, I, you know, unless I'm making money, I have no money to give the video editor and the person doing the research. So, yeah, until that happens... It ain't happening. So that's out. Um, yeah, you're not going to get video for this podcast and you're probably not going to see me on YouTube unless I can get really good at videoing my cats. They're wonderful cats and we foster kittens sometimes, which strangely enough, it's May 1st and I have, well, it's May 2nd now and we have no kittens. Kitten season is upon us. Why do we have no kittens? I hope we get kittens after we get back from camping. That would be great. But alas, yet no kittens. The kitten room is just that other office of mine at this moment. And we store things in it. So hopefully we'll get kittens. We'll get that all straightened out. It'll still be an office, but it'll have kittens in it. All right. Now I think I'm ready to call it off for the day since you've heard about the uh, update to Anchor that lets you do the video and why I will not do it and why you don't want me to do it. I hope that you'll come back for chapter one of Faith, hopefully tomorrow. It's not like I have a job that's going to keep me from it. So I should be back tomorrow, which is later today, technically. It's 3 a.m. on Monday, not Sunday night. So, <laughs> later today, chapter one of Faith, part one, Hope. If you would like to get in touch with me, whether to tell me that you like my stories, you wish I would do less rambling, um, that you really would like to see my messy office, <laughs> or whatever, 
Um, I would love to hear from you. The easiest way, we've gotten rid of the three dif different email addresses. No, I still have them, but I'm not asking you to try to write them all down. Just one. Inhildy at gmail.com. That's I-N-H-E-I-L-D-I. And also my Twitter, you can tweet at Inhildy. Okay? I will see you tomorrow, later today.